open to receive what you have for us, that we would focus on what it is that you're teaching us this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. If you have your scriptures with you, you can open up. We're in Philippians 3. We're starting in verse 12, and we're going to go all the way to the very first verse of the fourth chapter. So uh, if you have a Bible or you have a phone, break it open, and you can follow along with us. I'm going to go ahead and read, and the words will be on the screen, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and read this section, and then we'll, we'll walk through it. Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And in the first verse of the next chapter, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Amen. We live in a very interesting time, and I, as I was putting together this sermon and focusing, and especially on the first verse, can we go back to the first, verse 12 there? Um, one thing that I noticed that is different about Paul from sort of the time that we are sort of living in is this idea, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Christians live with an idea of hope. We live with an idea of expectancy that is absent from the world around us. You know, you might have heard people say, just live in the moment, you know. Live for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. You got to let go of the past. What do they say? The past is behind you. The future is ahead of you. The present is a present or something like that. I think it's from uh, Kung Fu Panda. Yeah. You guys have seen Kung Fu Panda, right? No, Okay. Go check it out. It's a funny movie. Jackie Chan's in it. Um, but the idea is that you have to live just for today. That is not a Christian ideal. I apologize. If you have that tattooed somewhere on your body, I apologize right now. Uh, there's ways, talk to me later, because there's ways we can, we can make that into something else. But Christians live with a sense of hope, a sense of expectancy, right? We're going somewhere. We're on a path to someplace. When God grabs a hold of our lives, he isn't satisfied with leaving us in our present state. He begins to pour purpose into us, begins to pour meaning into us, and begins to pour a future into our lives. Right, there's that famous verse from Jeremiah that I'm sure everybody can quote. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you what? A hope and a future. A hope and a future. God's plans for you are big. 
and they include a future life. It's not only about the present moment. It's about what tomorrow is going to bring, and what tomorrow is going to bring is going to be a wonderful and glorious thing. That's our future hope. We are a people that look forward, and like Paul, we realize that if we want to grasp ahead, if we want to go forward, if we want to grab onto the hope that God has for us, on some level it means setting aside the things of the past. On some level it means letting go of past things. Rarely, in verse 13, rarely is the word forget used in a positive manner. Can you go to the next part of this? Rarely is the word forget used in a positive manner in the New Testament. In fact, uh, it's actually used um, eight times in the New Testament. And in none of those times is it used positively except for here, where Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Some of us need to forget some things. Some of us need to get beyond some things. There's some valleys, there's some dark places, there's some relationships, there's some hardship that we've been through. That if we are not allowing ourselves to let go of those past pains, we'll never be able to grab onto the future that God has for us. Some of us need to practice forgetfulness. Some of us need to forget. On the other hand, there's some of us here today who have experienced the high accolades of life. The highness, the high places where we've met God and where we've been intimate with him. But I want to tell you something. Even those things can hold us back at times. Paul acknowledges that, right? Earlier last week, we talked about all the accomplishments that Paul had in his life. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a, a, a son of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee. But if he had counted all of those things as something to be grasped, something to hold on to, he would always be looking to fulfill the past image that he had created for himself, as opposed to being able to let go and grab onto the future hope that he can find in Christ. And the same is true with us. What are the things in our lives, the mountaintops in our lives, the the things that we have sort of built up around ourselves that we're holding on to so tightly? Oh God, if you would only move like that. Oh God, if you could ever bring me to a place that was like that. And yet God wants to do something new in our lives. God has a future hope for us. And we're unwilling to let go of the things of the past in order to grasp the hope of the future. So there's two things to that, right? There are the things in our lives, the valleys that we've been through that hold us back, the things that preoccupy our time and our thoughts, the shame that we have or the missed opportunities of our lives. Those things hold us back, but at the same time, the glorious things also can hold us back. If we're constantly having to return to a a prior place and live there, God has something good in our future ahead of us. We can't allow the mistakes of my week, of our week, to stop the task that God has for us today. We cannot allow, and this is something that comes up uh, as I'm talking in the community, as I'm um, uh, speaking with people who, they used to be in church and then something happened, right? They got burned bad. And that happens, unfortunately. I've, I've been a part of those situations. Sometimes I've been burned, and sometimes, God forgive me, I've been the burner. And that happens at times. And when we allow those things, I had a bad experience at a church, I had a bad experience with a pastor, I had a bad experience with some church folk. If we don't allow ourselves to let go of those things, those things will stop us from entering into the future that God has for us. They will. So people are, are handicapping their spiritual life because of something that happened in the past. God wants them to live in freedom into the future. 
but we handicap ourselves and stop us from grasping forward to what lies ahead. We can't allow either the mistakes or the successes to stop our pursuit of God. And what lies ahead is the prize. Peace, comfort, joy, love, rest, happiness. And that's what we need to keep in our eyes. When I was younger, I, uh, I was down in California for a short period of time, and I had this awesome opportunity uh, to do horse riding lessons. How many of you have ever ridden a horse? Raise your hand. Wow, a lot of us. This is, this is like rural Oregon, right? Y'all have ridden. Y'all have horses. How many guys have ever kept horses? Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So quite a few. So, um, so a horse is like, uh, it's what? It's like, it's pretty tall, right? It's kind of like, well, let me just, it's, it's kind of like, it's okay, like, like that, that tall, right? And horse, depending on the kind of horse, right? Horses are pretty tall. And, uh, you know, you've got to use your imagination, right? But it's kind of like, right? And um, the amazing thing about horses, they're, they're majestic creatures, right? And they're, they're, they're big, okay. They're majestic, they're strong, they're beautiful. Uh, and the times that I've been able to ride horses, they're just, okay, all right, just... Okay, here we go. There we go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Okay, that's better. But um, the times that I've been able to ride horses is just incredible, right? And horses are amazing because they're so huge and so strong. And yet at the same time, they're controlled, uh, you know, with a bit in their, in their mouth, which you actually have to watch out for because if, if you put your fingers in there, right, they'll, they'll chomp them right off. So, um, but the thing about horses is sometimes a horse has to operate in a, in a really dangerous location. You know, New York City, they have horses walking down the street. Um, and, and there's a lot of distractions around, right? And so what do you do? Well, you have, you have these, uh, these things here, right? Blinders. Did you ever see this before? Look at that. So you put that on your horse there. Oh, that's better. That's better. And, and you see, it's got these little cups on it, right? Now, horses, if you don't know, horses are prey animals, right? In the wild, they're prey animals, which means that their eyes can see everything around them. They have this beautiful peripheral vision, which is great when you're out in the forest and you want to make sure that the wolves aren't going to get you. But if you're in the middle of New York City, all of those distractions, all of that extra stimuli coming at the horse will make the horse spook. The last thing you want is to be on a horse that's spooked, right? And so you put these blinders on them, and what it does is it, it blocks off all this peripheral vision so that when your horse is looking, all it can really see, all it can focus on is what lies ahead of it, right? That's all it's really interested in. That's, that is sort of what Paul is trying to describe to us. He's focused in on the future hope that God has for us. We're going to put him away now. There we go. There we go. Yeah, I'm going to give him his carrot so he can eat that. But it's a focusing in, right? There's a story uh, about how blinders were invented, and it was that there was a preacher, and he made a wager, as preachers often do, with his buddies that he can get a horse to enter his house, a second story of his house. 
And, and so they took him up on it. And so he brought the horse into his house, got him to climb the stairs and make it into the... So he won the rager. The problem was the horse wouldn't leave, right? He wouldn't go back down the stairs. And the, the preacher ended up covering the horse's head with a blanket. And he realized that if he covered the horse's head with a blanket, the horse could not perceive the danger that it was in. And it allowed the preacher to lead him out of the house. Sometimes there are situations, there are futures that we're walking into. That our flesh, that our, our, something inside of us is so uh, scared of what God has for us that we will resist the good thing that God has for us in our future out of a fear for ourselves or our, our own state. Right? Paul says, focus in. Allow yourself to be focused in. Take your eyes off of this world around you and focus on what God is going to do. And see, when you put blinders on a horse, suddenly the responsibility for the horse's life lies with the person controlling the horse. Right? The horse can no longer see the dangers. So all the responsibility for that horse's life is put upon the person who's leading the horse. And the same is true for us. When we focus in on God, we focus on the future that he has for us. Suddenly the responsibility for our life, for our livelihoods, our reputations, our relationships, our jobs, suddenly becomes God's responsibility instead of ours. And we're able to move in freedom into areas of danger, knowing that we can trust God, that he's going to lead us through. I was... Um, we were, uh, we were here for something. I can't remember what it was. It was a few weeks ago. Um, but it got late. It got dark. Amy had to go home. Oh, I know. It was Cub Scouts. James is in Cub Scouts, my son. Uh, and we were here, and it got late. Amy had to leave with the, with the baby. And so James and I walked home one evening a few weeks ago, and it was dark, dark out. And I was holding his hand, and, and we were walking. There's no lights on this hill, uh, which was awesome. <laughs> it was like you can't see in front of you. Um, and so I asked him, I said, James, are you scared, you know, at this time? And he kind of didn't really say anything, which is basically like saying yes. And I told him a story about his grandpa, and I think it's a, it's apropos, it means it's appropriate. I don't know, it sounds fancy, but it's in the French. But it, uh, that it's Veterans Day tomorrow. My grandfather was, uh, served in World War II. He was in World War II uh, from when the U.S. forces entered it, was in 1941, until 1945 when they left the war. Uh, and he was a chaplain in the U.S. Army. Uh, he landed in uh, Normandy. He went through North Africa uh, with Patton's troops and, and went into uh, Europe. Uh, and he served in the uh, Christmas Island or Solomon Islands or somewhere in the, in the ocean. Uh, and he was in the war a long time. And my mom asked him once, what do you, what do, you do when during those times of combat. And as a chaplain, in World War II, my grandpa was not allowed to carry a gun. So he had no way of defending himself. Yeah, he had a driver with him who was allowed to carry a gun, but he himself didn't have any weapons. Uh, and he was serving in the front lines. And so my mom would ask him, what, what would you do in those situations? And my grandpa said, well, he just said, I would just lift my eyes up to the mountains. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. There's something amazing when you're able to focus in on who your help is. But I tell you what, 
No gun in the world can protect your life. I'm sorry, but no. There's nothing that you can do to stop that from coming. God is the author of life. God is the one who overcomes death. So I don't care if it's your physical life, I don't care if it's your emotional life, if it's a relationship, if it's your job, if you would take that thing in your life and focus on God and allow God to take control of those moments, you will find that God is not only trustworthy, but he is able to bring about true life and true happiness and true joy and hope into your life. That's what we need. We need more of that. And the only way we can do that is if we focus in on Christ and on the cross. But the reality is that not all people share our hope, right? Paul actually goes on to say that there are enemies of the cross. And I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about that. Can you go to the next section there? Uh, One more. It might be actually even two more. There we go. There it is. As I've often told you before, and now say again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is a very difficult place, right? And we have it there, and we have it there, and we put it all over the place. Actually, we have it there, too. Um, but it's a very hard place. It's not, the cross should not be an easy place for us. It's a place of death. Our Savior died on that cross. And Paul elsewhere, he says that the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. And it can be very confusing to people because at a time in our world where what we are lacking is hope, Christians offer up a sight of death, a sight of crucifixion, which is actually really torture. And that can be very confusing. And I understand Paul when he says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I understand why that would look like foolishness to people. There's something odd about that. The cross reminds me that Jesus has died for my own sins. The cross exposes me as a sinner. How is that hopeful? There's a song that goes, uh, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The cross is an end of myself. And the world that we live in is very confused by that. They don't have any time or space for the cross. We go through our lives like hunted animals, constantly thinking about our own resources, our own life, our own reputations. We're hunted by shame. We're haunted by the missed opportunities of our life. Anxiety, fear, pain pours out of our television sets, pours out of our newspapers sometimes pours out of our YouTube channels, and it causes us to lose hope. This is our community, really. This is our community. We are those who say, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we're going to die. The problem is a reliance on human hope, on human ambition, rather than divine hope. So we hold tighter and tighter onto the things of this world, desperately trying to get as much life out of them as possible. And Paul goes on to say, it's as if their stomach is their God. They're following their basest instincts. That's the only thing that they found that can give them life. And then he says, their destiny is destruction. Unfortunately, that's the only thing that it seems like anybody can agree on. Republicans and Democrats, politicians or what have you, everybody says, 
the only thing we can agree on is it's all going wrong, and it's going to end terribly. We're living in a hopeless world, and into this hopelessness, God thrusts a cross, a sight of death, and it appears as foolishness. But there's power there. The power of the cross is that when Jesus died, he took on my sin. He took on my fear. He took on my anxiety. All the things that I've been trying to find fulfillment for in my own life by searching after things that are pleasing to me or a reputation or money or, or uh, something like that. All the things that I have been trying to build up myself, he takes those things away in an instant. And suddenly my focus shifts. And I don't see the storm. I don't see the, the terror around me when I focus on the cross. There's power there. Power to relieve harm. Power to bring new life. And then, of course, you can't talk about the cross unless you talk about the resurrection. At the resurrection, God breaks death. He breaks it. Death used to be a final thing. You died. And then at the resurrection, God breaks death. And Paul goes on to say, I'm reaching forward for that which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Go to the next verse here. It says this, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Next verse. The Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious ones. Our eyes are focused on Christ. And the cross becomes a place of gathering for us, a place where people who have come to the end of themselves, people who have decided that there's nothing I can do to make myself the kind of person that I think I should be, people who have decided that money is not enough, people who have decided that this world doesn't have the answers that they need, the cross becomes a site where we can gather together at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I'm going to allow myself to die here with you so that I can be resurrected again and experience new life with you. So the cross becomes a place of hope. It's not only death, it's life. It gives life. It breathes life. It takes pain. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. We're looking to that. And therefore... In verse 1, he says, My brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. As we approach Advent, uh, at the end of this series, we'll, uh, as we begin December, we'll get into Advent. Um, and Advent is a state of expectancy. It's a thinking about Jesus as a baby. The remembering of God coming to us in flesh, as a little baby at Bethlehem. Aren't you glad that God was not satisfied with living in the moment? Aren't you glad that he was not satisfied with the state of our affairs? He said, no, no, no. There's something terribly wrong here. And he sent Jesus to come and die for us, to reestablish a relationship, to overcome the gap of sin in our lives. It's a hope for a future relationship, for a future communion with God. 
That's the power of the cross. So that you, on November 10th, 2019, could gather in a church and experience the fullness of God's presence. That's what the cross is about. Let's keep our eyes fixed on him. I'm going to take some time to pray, and and, uh, what we like to do is leave some time at the end of the service. If God is doing something in your life, if you feel like God uh, has been touching an area of your heart or touching an area of your life, maybe it's something like I was talking about, a, a past thing that you need to let go of, whether that's a a success or a failure, whether it's a mountaintop or a value? Uh, Is there something that God has been just kind of poking at a little bit in your heart? Or maybe for you, it's the realization that you need to keep your eyes focused on Christ, that you've allowed the distractions of the world, like Peter being called out on the water, the waves and the wind and all of the chaos around you, have allowed it to slip your eyes off of Jesus. And maybe today you're saying, I need to refocus. I need to put those blinders on and refocus on Christ. Maybe, I'll go out on a limb and say, maybe there's somebody here today who's never experienced that before in its fullness. And you say, today I need to look to Christ, not just as a, a good person, but as somebody who is ready and willing to take away every sin and every shame of my life. I need to start that relationship today. But if God has been working on your heart, if you felt the Spirit working at all, in your life this morning. We want to allow some time for the Spirit of God to minister to you. We, uh, myself, the prayer team, the worship team, we do not give life. We are not the ones who can heal you. We are not the ones who can bring restoration or reconciliation to your lives. But the Spirit of God, through this time and this place and through us, can minister to you and can bring fullness and life to you and your spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray And then I'm going to go ahead and invite Adrian to come up uh, to the piano. And she's just going to play through uh, some worship for us. And you can sit quietly. You can pray. You can read scripture. But we're going to take five, ten minutes. Uh, This isn't the end of the service, so please hang around. And we're going to have also our prayer team up front. And if you would like somebody to pray with you, agree with you in prayer, you're welcome to come up and we are going to pray with you and believe that God is going to move in your life. But let's take some time. Let's not move on from this moment before we've allowed ourselves some time to deal with God for something. So I'm going to look and open us up in some prayer. And we're going to take five or ten minutes just to be together and to worship God and to pray. Lord, we come before you. And I thank you, God, for the ways in which you are moving among us. God, I thank you because you are not satisfied with where we are. But you have a future hope for us. And I pray right now, if there's somebody here today... Lord, that hopelessness has begun to infest their heart. Hopelessness has begun to cloud their future. In the name of Jesus, we speak life into that person. And Lord, would you break through the clouds of hopelessness. In the name of Jesus, would you bring hope that would come down from heaven and begin to light on their heart. And I pray, Lord, that the things of the past, Lord, would begin to to just fall away. Shatter those things, Jesus. Lord, if there's somebody here today that struggles with anything, that's holding them back, set them free, Lord. And Jesus, as you begin to minister among us, as you begin to work among us, we open our hearts up to you. You are our healer, Jesus. You are our baptizer, Lord. You're our savior. You're our king, Jesus. It's all about you, Lord. So I pray that as you begin to minister among us, that we would open our hearts to you and what you're doing. 
Thank you, Jesus. Take some time to pray. Prayer team, you can go ahead and come up. If you are interested in having prayer, you're welcome to come up. But let's just take five or ten minutes, and I'll close this one in prayer when we're done. Let's take some time to pray.